much uh, revolving around that ideal and revolving around one of the most subtle and most important battlefields is the battlefield between our ears, the battlefield of our mind. And if we can get our minds right and get our minds in a good shape and get our minds in the right spot, we put ourselves in a place to really begin to understand and hear and listen to God's voice and listen to his word as he challenges us and makes us and changes us. This morning, let's get started. Let's, let's bump, bump right into it today. Uh, open your Bibles this morning to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 5. That's going to be our text this morning, and it's a good one today. And again, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 5. Let's, let's read it this morning if you could. And it's, this is what it is. For though we walk in the flesh, everyone say, in the flesh. In the flesh, we walk in the flesh. Now think, when you hear that, think normal life, think real world stuff. But we walk in the real world, we walk in the normal life. We do not war according to the flesh. In other words, our opponent can't be seen with natural eyes. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but they're divinely powerful for the destruction of what? The destruction of strongholds, right? We are, the Bible says, destroying speculations. And every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God, we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. I love this passage this morning. We're going to focus today on one word here. We're going to focus on the word strongholds. Uh, Now, this is a word that oftentimes we don't use much outside of the church, right? Like, you know, you don't walk up to people at work and say, hey, how's your strongholds going, right? Or, you know, people don't say, hey, what's going on? What's going on? Man, I got this tough thing right now. I'm dealing with some pretty serious strongholds, right? I mean, unless your, your people are Christians and you work with, uh, I might run into that here at the office. But uh, for the most part, we don't use the word strongholds much in real life, do we? And so because of that, the idea that words, strongholds, can get lost in translations. There's some words we have in the Christian language, which we have our language, don't we? We say certain things in the church that we don't often say outside the church. Uh, the reality is, is that this is one of those words that can get lost in translation because we don't use it a whole lot. That's, that's kind of where this is. And if we don't get deep into this word, we can lose some of the meatiness of what God's trying to say to us here in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, now you say meatiness. What does that mean today? This is going to be steak today, not, not, not milk. And so grab, grab your A1 and your steak, steak knife. Say, we're going to get into this this morning because it's going to be good. The, the, the word strongholds in the original language right here is the word okoruma. They say, wow, that's a pretty good word. And okoruma, uh, that's the original, lang- or the original word here for strongholds. But now, like many things in, the, in, in, in English, in Greek, there's certain words that come from a root word. Okoruma comes from a root word. The root word it comes from is the word oxyru. Now, oxyru and okorumo have, have, have the same, uh, similar meaning, but they're translated the same in Scripture. They're both translated with this, literally translated as a fortification, are translated as a strong building, a fort, or a castle. So think Fort Knox or my arms. No, I'm just kidding. No, think Fort Knox this morning. Uh, that's the translation for both of these words in the, in, in the Bible into English. Now, 
This is why Greek is so cool. Now, I, I failed Greek in, in high, well, not quite failed, but I didn't do well in college in Greek. But what I did learn is I learned how to understand and read some Greek things and under, learned how to understand and how to read some books, basically, to help me out to know what this stuff is. This is an important thing right here. The usage of okoruma only happens one time in the entire, the entire New Testament, and it happens right here in this scripture. That's the only time you'll see this word okoruma. Now, again, because there's two things, this one here points to that this is a figurative oxyru, okay? So in other words, you say, well, now you got it confused. This is a figurative fortification, it's not real. It's not an actual, you know, built of real, real walls you can feel and touch. This usage of this scripture is a figurative sort of castle. So in other words, what the scripture here says is there's this, there, there's strongholds here that in many ways are not actual real strongholds. that can feel them, but yet they're figurative, but yet they're every bit as real as the ones we can touch, aren't they? The Bible here tells us that this, that we are fighting a battle and that the battle in so many ways, we can kind of come back and look at this, is there are not actual walls, there are figurative walls. When I was a youth pastor, I had a, a beautiful young lady in my youth ministry I, I counseled. And this girl, again, she was, she was talented, she had a lot going for her. But this young lady believed with all of her heart that she was ugly and that she was, un, un, she was worthless and that she'd never ever find a husband because nobody would ever want her. And she sat there and she was depressed and it affected every part of her life. It affected her, her depression. She, was, she had anxiety. I mean, she had all kinds of deep-seated issues and it all comes back to how she believed about herself. She thought that nobody would ever want to, to, to talk to her or to, to love her or those kind of things. This is an example of a oxyru. It's an example of a figurative one. This is an example of a, of, of, of a, of a figurative castle or a figurative stronghold in her life that yet is not just because it's figurative doesn't mean it's not big and powerful and strong. Now, guys, we think differently than that. We don't think we're, we're uglier. We think we're better looking than we are, don't we? We think that, you know, that, that's why you have Speedos, because guys think we're better looking than we actually are. And so, you know, you have Speedos and you have, you know, lying and cheating and stealing. That's you know, all the same thing. But, uh, but no, seriously, because they're rooted in deception, many times strongholds can be difficult to, to pinpoint, can't they? It'd be hard to see what a stronghold can be or what a stronghold is. We've got to first find out where they're located. The other night, my, my, my four-year-old, Michaela, was walking in the house. She was grabbing at things. Like, she was like, kind of doing this. And I wasn't sure what she was doing. And so we kind of laughed. But I said, Kelly, what are you doing? And she goes, I'm grabbing for I can't remember the word she used. I, seriously, it was some made-up word she made up. And so let's, let's call it a, a what's-it. Daddy, I'm grabbing for what's-it. And I'm like, what is a what's-it? <laughs> she stopped, and she kind of looked confused. And she kind of quieted quiet, me. And she goes, I don't really know. And she continued to go on and look for this quote-unquote what's-it that she thought that she was looking for. Now, that may work if you are a four-year-old and you're in the kitchen of the royalty household. But it doesn't work well for us. We're going to discover where strongholds are located. Because church, this, they are vital, they are important, and we have to know where they are if we're going to tear them down. Listen, I want to do something here this morning. I want to play a little game, uh, give you some clues today, and I want, you to, I want you to tell me what I'm thinking about. The first clue is pancakes, bacon, and eggs. What am I, what am I thinking about today? 
Breakfast, absolutely not. You're all hungry. Breakfast, yes. Get a little harder here today. I'll say purple, losing big games in football. What am I thinking about? The Vikings, absolutely. Now let's get even harder this morning. Let's use the words uh, speculations, knowledge, and thoughts. What am I thinking about this morning? Minds, absolutely. See, these are, these are three words that are found here in our text. Speculations, thoughts, and minds. Or speculation, knowledge, and thoughts. Uh, the answer is mind because that's where those things take place, isn't it? We use our mind to speculate. We use knowledge is stored in our mind. Thoughts are generated by our minds. So it's safe to say in this scripture right here, the idea that this is talking through and leading us toward is that these figurative or these, these, these walls, these, these, these strongholds are built in our minds. They're located in our minds. Now, what do they look like? Now, based upon the above Greek that we followed this morning, let's use the working definition that a spiritual stronghold is a fortress-like mindset based on deception. Now, again, church, just because it's figurative doesn't mean it's not powerful and strong. I would, get, I would argue that sometimes because it's figurative, it makes it more strong and makes it more powerful because that's how the enemy works. Oh, you don't have a problem with that, or that's not you. That's not your situation. That's not what you're living through. But yet, we find that that's the case in, our, in many of our lives. Now, how do I know I'm dealing with a stronghold this morning? And this is a question this I, I want you to consider this morning is this. When a Christian feels powerless to change a situation that he or she clearly knows goes against the will and the word of God, there is a stronghold in that situation. For example, this morning, here's, here's a great example. We know what the word says about forgiveness, don't we? We know the word tells us to forgive. You cannot make a case based on the word of God that living in unforgiveness is ever an okay thing, right? You can't. We know the scriptures. We know the word says to forgive. That's there. It's clear. It's black and white, isn't it? Now, we know that's there sometimes, don't we? But isn't it true sometimes that in real life, when we get to our lives, that sometimes it feels as if the, what the Word says and what I feel like I can do in myself, there's a chasm as wide and as far as the Grand Canyon, right? I know the Word says to forgive, but how could I possibly ever forgive that person for what they did for me? When a Christian finds that there is a chasm between the word of God and doing what God's word says and actually acting out and doing it, there's chances are a stronghold. Another example would be in marriage. Marriage is like a, can be at times, can be like a, like, 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 like fertilizer on stronghold seeds. Uh, the Bible says marriage is a good thing, doesn't it? If you look at Proverbs 18, 22, it says, the man who finds a wife finds a good thing. So, in other words, too, the wife who finds a husband is, finds a good thing, right? We know that. It's a good thing. I married my wife, Lisa. She's far better than me. I married way up. I'm not just saying that. She really is. Uh, when we were, when we were uh, getting married, my mom came up to Lisa and said, um, came to me and said, Steve, if you ever get rid of Lisa, we're keeping her and getting rid of you. Okay? So she kind of said, you know, basically, if you want a family still, never leave, never leave your wife. And so I'm like, okay, that's fine with me. But, you know, I, I did. I married up. My wife is fantastic. She's awesome. But there's people in our world, there's people in the church, there's people around us that 
when they look at their marriage, they say, my marriage is anything but great. My marriage is anything but wonderful. If I look at my marriage and my life and the things around me, no way can that be true. So again, we know the scriptures. The scripture says this, but yet real life sometimes says this. And so we're caught in this large chasm of truth of scripture and reality of life. We find ourselves balancing between the two. And in many ways, church, this is where we can find things like strongholds. I know what God's word says, but... I know God's word says this, but this is the reality. I know God's word says I shouldn't do this, but yet this is where my my life is really at. And so that's where we can find strongholds. However, people sometimes have so much trouble with their spouses that they say, well, if God's word says that marriage is good and that a spouse is a wonderful thing and my marriage is this way, but then my my life is not that way, what else in God's word is not true? What else in God's word is not right? Many times doubt and, and, and insecurity and these things that, are, that so greatly undermine our walks with Christ are planted, the seeds are planted in places of strongholds and we have to get to the bottom of these if we're going to move forward with Christ. So as you can imagine, these conflicting situations are tough to deal with. So we, we, we do what, what our text here says this morning is we allow a lofty thing to be built up in our lives. Now again, you say lofty thing. What is a lofty thing? Well, let's go back to the Greek. The Greek word here is hopsoma. Now, like I said that this, I did it kind of through there. The hopsoma. That's what the, word, the Greek word here is. And simply put, a hopsoma is a large, tall, high wall. So we, we, we have the, the, the conflicting of God's word and God's truth and, and my life and my situation. We have these two conflicting areas. And the Bible says we allow to raise up between those two things a lofty thing, a hupsoma, a wall that separates us, God's word, God's truth, God's goodness with our own life and what it continues here in our, as the Bible says, human speculation. That's the other thing other part of scripture, we allow speculation to come into our lives to separate the knowledge of God and, our, and, our, and the speculation in our lives. And I said, well, what's speculation? It's, it's like this. A couple of years ago, I was, I was into watching the show Alaska Gold Rush. I, I love that show. Uh, I don't anymore. Todd got weird, and so I don't watch anymore. But if you've watched the show, you know what I'm talking about. But, uh, you know, I, I loved that show for, uh, for a while because I love the idea that this, the idea was these guys that were, you know, kind of down on their luck. They were struggling. They were not gold miners. Uh, drove up, sold everything they had, drove up to Alaska, put, made a camp, and started mining for gold. That's cool, man. That's an adventure. That's awesome. And so I love that show. But the reality is, is that show is full of speculation. Because though they had tools and they had, you know, things that could kind of maybe lead them to where the gold was, there's no way on earth a gold miner is going to know where the gold is exactly, right? It's based on speculation, They'd say things like, well, I think the gold will probably be, be over here behind these trees because many years ago there was a, a river here and this, this, there was a, a, a river bend right here and the gold would have been deposited right here. And so I speculate there's probably gold right here. And the ensuing drama is probably watched because they'd either find the gold and they're millionaires or 
they would not find the gold and they would have to continue to dig more and more and more. See, speculation is done when we make decisions based on faulty or insecure or not completely all their information. That's speculation. The Bible here says that we raise up, as a result of these things, raise up a lofty thing, a high wall between truth and between speculation and, we, and between God, what God says, and what our own idea says. It says, well, maybe this is the, the case and the way it is, and maybe that's how I want to go, and we speculate what to do. Listen here to how James 1, chapter, chapter 1, verses 5 through 8 describes the situation. It says this, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith without doubting, for though one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord, Verse 8, because he is a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. What happens when we put up a wall in a room? Let's say right now we're in this room and we put up a wall right here. What's going to happen? This room becomes two rooms, right? You have one room here. You have one room there. Let's say we build this room. We build two rooms. We build, put up a wall or a hoop some between two walls or between two rooms. Make, make two rooms. On one room, we have a solid, strong foundation. On the other side of this wall, we have a quick, a sinking quicksand type, type situation. And what's going to happen when we try to put our feet in both sides of this hoopsome or this wall? What happens? We become what? Double-minded. We become unstable in our, all of our ways. If I'm going to stand on a solid foundation and also try to stand on quicksand, I am not going to make it, Right? It makes sense. See, that's what James says right here. He says, this person, this man, this woman is double-minded. They become unstable. Why? They've allowed this hoopsoma to come up between God and them, between God's truth and God's word, and between speculation and their life and how they make decisions and do things, and they become unstable in all of their ways. I have met in my life, in my ministry, a lot of people who are unstable in all their ways. Believers, long-time believers have known Jesus for a lot of years, but because of this, because of that, you know, there's many reasons. They are unstable. They're not sure. They're, they're, they're faltering. They're not sure what way to go. They say, God, I love you. I worship you. I believe your word. I believe your truth. Yet my life says otherwise. When I, was in, when I was a kid, I went to, uh, to Bible camp at Lake Geneva up here, a few miles north of us. And it's a wonderful place. I loved it up there. I went to Bible camp every year. And I've got to be honest, though, I went up there, and I was a double-minded man, unstable in all my ways. I was what this scripture says. You say, if you were here, you, some of you knew me when I was a kid. You say, well, you were a good kid, Steve. I, I played the game very well, but I wasn't really serving Jesus with my life. And so what would happen is I'd go up north, I'd go to camp, and God would deal with me. And it was great things. I'd hear his words, say, yes, God, i got to do that. And that sounds so good. That sounds so great. Absolutely, I'm all in. And then I get back home, and things become very much, very much different. 
I go, I go back to school or back to my friends or back to whatever else. And the decisions I made on God's word and on truth, on a solid foundation, feeling great, those decisions quickly changed because I was a double-minded man, unstable on my ways, with one foot rooted on truth and the other foot rooted on speculation and idea and a sinking sand that made me and feel, made me feel like I was unstable. I had allowed a hupsoma to be raised up in my life and, and put me to two people. You look at the scripture and you say, replace the word, word, word room with mind. You can see where this is going here this morning. A double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Now here is five possible characteristics of a spiritual stronghold this morning. Number one is this. The strongholds are located in the minds. In this case, now, that's not always the truth. We, we, there's other parts of Scripture that talk about strongholds being different. That's not what we're going here. That We're focusing on this Scripture right here. As, according to this Scripture, strongholds in this situation are located in the mind. We've already talked about that a little bit. Look at, uh, if you look at, at, at the Church of Laodicea in Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 to 20. I'm not going to read it today, but it's up there for you to read today if you can, because it's pretty small, but I want to get it all in one, in one page there. But you can see kind of here what's going on. If you know the story, you know that here's a church that was unstable. Here's a church that believed they were in good shape. We're rich, we're wealthy, we have need of nothing, we're good. But yet Jesus had said to them, no, you're not. You're not rich, you're not prospered, you are naked, you are wretched, wretched, pitiful, poor, blind. The, the reality that they thought that was true, they thought they were in good shape, but the reality was different. That's what happens in our minds. We think we're one way, but we're really in reality quite the opposite. Where did it start? It started in their thoughts, in their minds. We're going to point number two this morning. Point number two is strongholds are often made up of good thoughts. Now, you've heard before the statement that says, good is the enemy of great. Good is the biggest enemy of great. You see, if, 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 if we were living our lives and with, you know, the enemy through things that say, hey, I want you to go out and rob a bank or, you know, do this, we, we know that's not true. That's not how he works. He's far more crafty than that. He gives us good ideas and good thoughts that are not God thoughts, but they're good thoughts. For a case in point is Matthew chapter 16. Uh, Peter, in, in, starting in verse 21, the situation here, Jesus has some pretty strong words to say to, say to Peter, doesn't he? He says, he says, get behind me, Satan. Now, I don't know about you, but if I heard that or if I saw that, I think there's probably a lesson to be learned here in the situation. So let's learn it. Uh, it's interesting when you consider who Peter was. Peter uh, was a leader. Peter was a natural leader. Peter was a leader of the disciples. Peter was a strong, strong leader. Jesus had said other times, Peter was like a rock. He was strong. I mean, he was, he was the man in many ways. But yet here we find that this happens. Uh, you know, was, was Peter asking Jesus to rob a bank or to steal something or something worse? Uh, no, not at all. Peter was giving Jesus some good, good-natured, nice, you know, kind of comfy advice, wasn't he? He was saying, Lord, when Jesus said he'd suffer, he'd die for our sins, Peter says, no way, Lord, in verse 22. This shall never happen to you. And Peter, of course, says, get behind me, Satan. 
Why would Jesus say that to Peter? It was simple because Peter was setting his mind on man's interest rather than God's interests. Jesus wanted Peter and all who are listening, which includes us, to know that is a big deal problem. We set our minds on man's interests rather than God's. In other words, Jesus was saying, you're looking at this from man's point of view rather than my point of view. See, he wanted Peter to see through the wall of speculation in his life and call out of him this thought by saying, Peter, the most important thing isn't my comfort, it's in laying down my life. That is the mind of Christ, not the mind of man. Sometimes we have a mindset that is so based on our thoughts and our lives and our situation, it's so based on speculation, we've forgotten what the Word of God says about these things. Again, Peter should have known better. Peter was with Jesus from day, from, from, I mean, not day one, but pretty close to day one. He heard Jesus talk about this stuff. He knew the truth, but yet he was allowing, he was allowing his own speculation to rule his mind and rule his heart. He wasn't make, making decisions based on the full counsel of God's truth in his hands. Here's a truth this morning, and the truth is this. Good and great can easily be confused. You think, well, what do we got to do about this? This is, this is a cool thing right here. 2 Corinthians 10.5, part of our, of our text today says this. We need to take every thought captive to Christ. Not just the bad thoughts, not just the evil thoughts, but literally every thought captive to Christ. Lord, is this thought in my mind? Is this thing I'm, I'm going to do right now? Does this reflect the kind of person and nature that you want me to be? I take that captive, and by captive we mean that, God, if this is not of you, if this is not the way you want to, be, Lord, change my life and change my heart to make it like yours. I've got to be honest with you. I've had things in my life that have been difficult to forgive in my life. I I have been. If you're having a hard time this morning with with that, you know it's true because I know it's true. See, what God's called us to live is not to live in perfection, but to live in submission to him and submission to his word. Where we say, God, if you say I need to learn to forgive, then Lord Jesus, help me to forgive. I'm not going to make excuses about my my unforgiveness. Lord, I'm going to make a plea to you and submit my thoughts and submit my mind to your will and your word and say, God, if you say it, that's how I want my life to live as well. I want to be a man of God, a man after his heart. That's number two. Number three, strongholds are often built in the shadow of strengths. Now in war, if you have a, 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 if you have a, a fort built, the fort is built in a place of potential strength. It's built at, a, at the, the, the eye of a, of a harbor. It's built on a mountain. It's not built down in a valley. It's built in a place where it's potential for strength. I found in my life people that oftentimes are the most, uh, the hardest with forgiveness, probably have the biggest hearts and the biggest gift of mercy. People that struggle with faith oftentimes have a faith gift. People that struggle with giving have 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 a gift to give. Why would the enemy do that? Because those are places of potential strength. In my life and in my heart, I have many strengths and many weaknesses. I love ice cream. That's a weakness. Uh, lately, I've been attached to the Wonder Years. That's a weakness. Let's be honest. Uh, but there are some things in my life that are strengths. Uh, one of those things has always been my personality. I can talk to anybody, and I've always seen that as a strength. When I was first a youth pastor, 
this was a hard thing because I did not know why everybody around me didn't have the same strengths that I did. Why can't you just go up to a kid and talk to him? Why can't you just lead him? Why can't you just do this? And I pushed and I pushed and I pushed this group of young, uh, young college-age students and leaders. I pushed them so hard that many were quitting my youth ministry. We had a growing, fabulous youth ministry. Kids were getting saved. Kids were getting, you know, delivered. It was, it was a great thing. We were growing like crazy. It was awesome. And my youth leaders were all leaving us. And I said, why can't you? And I began to blame them and say, you guys wouldn't know commitment if it's time to cross the face. I get so angry at them. But then God began to deal with me and my personal leadership abilities and said, Steve, you need to change. One of those leaders came up to me one Sunday or one Wednesday night and said, Pastor Steve, we, we love that you're here. We love that you're, that you're with us. We love what God's doing here. We love what, what, what you're building. We just wish you'd let us in on the, on the fun sometime. And when I heard that from this young leader, I was crushed. Because the reality was is that I had a strength, but, I, but, but, but there was a strong home because I believed that I could do all this by myself and I didn't need you and you don't need me and I'll do this all by myself. And a potential strength became a weakness in my life. For many of us, we can relate to that because we know there's areas in our lives we struggle with, but there's also those same areas or places we desperately wish were different. God, I want to be more forgiving. Lord, I want to be more giving. I want to be more of these things. You have a gift God's given you, but yet some, and this brings me to point number four this morning, but yet you found in your life some painful trauma that has enacted these strongholds in your life. That's point number four this morning. Strongholds are often activated by a painful trauma. How could some, someone who is equipped by God to live with mercy choose not to forgive? Because at some point in their life, they were so hurt and so, so traumatized by some situation that they have not allowed themselves to walk in forgiveness. How could somebody who is, could potentially have, be a person of faith and fearless and pray and see God's face and do it with passion, how could that person be so stuck and so pulled down by fear? Well, at some point in their life, they probably had something happen in them through some abuse or some other thing that showed them that their fear was their, their friend and their fear was, was everything in their life and they have found themselves to be hamstrung and crippled by fear. I look at my life and look at the things in my life that I know are areas where I have struggled with standing on God's word and standing on my own speculations. I have found in my life that these are areas that so often have been places that have been some deep trauma that's happened in my life. Until I began to walk in forgiveness and walk in and, 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 and putting those things away and, and putting those things under the blood of Jesus and allowing him to change me and make me in those things, I have not found forgiveness and found healing yet. But when I've submitted those thoughts to the word, I've submitted those thoughts to Jesus and said, Lord, I take every thought captive to you. And if you tell me in the word that I need to do this, I find it hard to do it. Lord, I know there's a, a stronghold. And Lord, my attitude is not, God, this is why I have this. This is why, these are my excuses. Lord, it's God, change me and make me and make me a new person, a new man. Lord, minister by your word and minister by your power. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, 
piercing as far as a division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. The soul reflects our own thoughts, the spirit God's. When these two are mixed together, we fail to discern the intentions of our hearts. That's why the scripture is so powerful. God's word gets down so deep and so strong that it brings those two together. It might make decisions based on the spirit and based on truth, based on the spirit and based on my own feelings, based on the spirit and based on the word, soul and spirit. When those become one, I make decisions in my life, and I do things based on what God says, not what I say, I start pulling down strongholds in my life. I start seeing God change some things in my life. Number five, strongholds create a double mind that results in spiritual and emotional instability. I heard this already this morning, but it bears repeating again. James 1.8 says, the double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. If you this morning are sitting in here today and you are double-minded and you know that you are, you know somebody else that is, such a person is capable of subscribing to two different, even opposing views on the account of the wall we've allowed to go up in the middle of us, the Hupsoma, that says, I can believe truth, but I can also believe a lie. We can walk those two, those two tight ropes. We find ourselves insecure and unstable because we've allowed these things to happen because we are double-minded. If we continue here in James 3, verses 14 through 15, gives us a clear picture of a double-minded person. Look at this today. Verse 14, it says, But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, these are examples of strongholds, do not boast and be false to the truth. Verse 15, this is not the wisdom that, it, that comes down from above. It is earthly and spiritual demonic. For where jealousy and, 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 and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. See, these are the mechanics of a double-minded person this morning. These are the mechanics of why so many believers struggle greatly with following Jesus with all of our hearts. It's why we can struggle and, and, and find ourselves not able to reconcile between truth and between action because we are living double-minded lives. We're trying to balance with one foot on faith, one foot on truth, one foot, one foot on hope, on peace and joy and love and the things God gives us. We're walking on that one, but we're also balancing on the opposite side as well. Church, believe it or not, this morning, it can be different today. James chapter 4, verses 7 through 10. I'm going to close here just a minute this morning. But this gives us a prescription to deal with the unstable person in our lives, to change this, to become a different person. Scripture says this, Submit yourselves before God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded people. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourself before the Lord, and he will exalt you. That's both, like, really exciting news, and it's also really like, wow, that's a downer too, God. What's going on here? There's four things we can find here that, that give us a prescription to change. The first one is submit to God. Verse 7, submit to God. For this to happen, you have to encounter truth. You have to encounter the truth. Just say, God, I have a problem with unforgiveness. God, I have a problem with this. I have a problem with that. We have to start and say, God, I encounter the truth. For example, 
Scripture says in 2 Timothy 1.7, For God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. That scripture is true whether or not I struggle with fear. Even if I'm a fearful person, that scripture is not different. That scripture is truth no matter what happens in my life. My response, if I say, well, God, yes, but... Yes, but God, I got this going on or I got that going on. That's when he started to say, God, I need a truth encounter. Lord, I need you to take away the the fear out of my life and that my life would be like yours. Like like me and I was in high school or in in high school and college, they have an anger stronghold. Proverbs 29.11 says, A fool gives vent to his anger, but a wise man keeps himself under control. And honestly, church, it doesn't matter how angry you are with Obama. It doesn't matter how angry you are with your friends, with your coworkers, or your neighbors, or whatever else. It doesn't matter how angry you are with your, 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 your server at Albies that forgot to fill your Coke up last week. It doesn't matter how angry you are with those people. If you find yourself walking in anger and allowing a vent to this and doing this wrong, you need to start and say, God, I need a truth encounter in my life. That's where it started for me. Number two, the the scripture says, resist the devil. Number one is admit. Number one is, is, is submit to God. Number two is resist the devil. The most effective way to resist the devil is by dying to your own self, to your old self. It's saying, God... Let's be honest here this morning. I'm a person of anger, a person of fear, I'm a person of unforgiveness, I'm a person of whatever it might be. Lord, I'm dying to those things, I'm putting those things away, and Lord, from this day forward, I am a new person. Now, that is sometimes easier said than done, isn't it? Let's be honest this morning. There's times in my life when I've said, God, I prayed that prayer and felt it and meant it, and then I get up and I walk to the altar, and I'm the same person I was before. Can you relate that this morning? We have before, haven't we? The truth this morning is this, is that we have to continue to come back to God and continue to say, Lord, this is not the way. I resist the devil. I'm not going to allow him to this place in my life. And and one way we can do that so effectively is 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 to renew our minds by memorizing Scripture. If you want to destroy and get rid of a stronghold in your life, memorize Scripture that has to do with that stronghold. If you're a person of fear, memorize that scripture about fear. If you're a person of anger, memorize the scripture about anger. And then every time you feel it coming up and say, Lord, it is written. Enemy, it is written. There is therefore now no condemnation for, you know, it is written. Lord, this is the way it is. And I'm not going to let, enemy, I'm not going to let you change that. This is the scriptures. I'm walking in it. Jesus showed us that, didn't he, when he, when he went up to the mountain and he, and, he, and he quoted scripture and said to the enemy, it is written. It's an amazing way of, 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 of putting, pushing back the devil. Number three, draw near to God. Draw near to God. You can't underestimate the effect a stronghold can have on your position with God. God's love for you and his position does not change. But strongholds cause us to change, don't they? God loves you. God cares about you. God is in your court. He is he's working in your life. But yet, sometimes we can find that strongholds in our lives don't change God, but they change us, don't they? See, the scripture this morning gives us this prescription. says, draw near to God in verse 8. Come back to him. Come continue with him. I think of my former self and my former stronghold of anger. 
discussed this last week a little bit, but, you know, I, I was in Bible college. I was a, a Christian kid. I was going to chapel every day, hearing great preaching, great teaching. I had great friends. I had a lot of people loving on me and, and caring about me, but yet I had this amazing problem with anger. And I had to come back to God day in and day out and draw back to him. And I'll be honest with you, church. I didn't realize how much I didn't know God. I didn't realize how much I had missed about God and his presence until I drew near to him and allowed him to tear down the anger stronghold in my life. And then the scripture here says, you'll become a new person. Become a new man because of what God's done in your life. That's three. But number four this morning is this. And he will draw near to you. This is the best news ever. It is. This is the best news ever, church. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. The reality is, is that if you're, if you're in here today, you're with a stronghold, you know you cannot do this by yourself, but I know who can help you. It's God. And see, sometimes we have to continuously come back and back and back and back and say, God, change me, God, make me, God, mold me, until finally one day he does. And then instead of looking forward to that moment, looking back and saying, God has delivered me, God has changed me, God's cleaned me, God's made me a new person. And it's because he has done it. It's because he has ministered. It's because he has worked. We're not finished yet, though, with the scripture this morning. Because in college, for a month, I worked on a demo team. And this demo team, we, I had a 30-pound sledgehammer. And we would beat at walls and beat at walls and beat at walls. And sometimes it took four or five hits. And nothing would happen. And all of a sudden, the sixth hit, bam, I'd take a swing. And the whole wall would come down. That's how it works as well for coming down with strongholds. Sometimes you got to beat and you got to swing and you got to swing and you got to swing until finally the one time when there's the final blow. And that's where we continue here in verse 8 of James 4. It says, Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your heart. You double minded this morning. God's not calling us to feel terrible about ourselves, what He's calling us to is to repentance, to admit that. If I have a problem with anger, it's not the fault of my dad or my mom or whatever else that we need to deal with those things. The fault lies within my heart. That I myself am a a, a hopeless sinner without Jesus. But with him and with him in my court and with him ministering, there is massive amounts of hope. And I can come to him and say, Lord, change me, make me a new person, Lord God. The situation is this, is what it was, but God, I want to be different. The first phase describes a symptom. The second one describes the root cause. A heroin addict can go through a detoxification program for a month or two and come out of that program and can be completely physically no longer addicted to heroin. But yet, so often we hear the story of people that come out of those programs and go back to their sin and go back to their drug that they're trying to walk away from. Why is this? Well, they've been cleansed in their physical purse, but not in their mind and not in their heart. Some of us, the truth this morning is this. Some of us are addicted to unforgiveness, our guilt, our fear, our hatred, or whatever it might be. You're, you may hate it, you may not like it, you may know it's destroying you, but you're addicted to it this morning. The truth is, a stronghold has been totally destroyed when a double-minded person becomes single-minded. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes this morning.
James has a plan. Be miserable, mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. But then he continues on here and he says, when he, when he, finishes, the, when he finishes the thought, when he finishes the, uh, the, 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 the word here today, he says, do these things. But he says, humble yourself before the Lord and God will exalt you. This is what God's called us to be and called us to do. And maybe this morning, church, God's called in your life and said, you this morning are walking like that. You are that kind of person. You are the kind of person that's double-minded. You're the kind of person this morning that has allowed a hoop soma between my truth and between your speculation. It's big and it's there and it's strong and it feels like you can't get past it. But guess what? Keep swinging, keep swinging, keep swinging. And the words is that you will walk, you will see its demise very soon in your life when you allow God to transform you and change you. That's you this morning. I want to just encourage you today. If that's you today, I'm going to pray over you. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. I'm not going to ask you to look up at me. I don't want to do that this morning. I want to pray over you this morning. And then we're going to stand. And then we're going to finish today off with a, a note of worship and thanksgiving to God. who He alone is the one who can do these things. But if that's you this morning, I want to pray over you. Lord, I pray over each person in this room this morning that finds himself be double-minded. Lord, that has your truth and, Lord, speculation on two sides of their lives. Lord, minister in them today, Lord Jesus. Lord, God, remove those things from their life and let them find themselves be free and single-minded. Lord God, focusing on your word as their strong heart.